Welcome to Metaphysical Soul Speak. I'm your host, Elena Vox Starks. Hey guys, I hope you're doing really well in this moment and that whenever and wherever you are on the planet, when you hear my message, that you are remembering to practice your patience. Practice your patience with yourself, with other people, especially family and friends with strangers and with your electronic equipment it has been like six hours I've been trying to get the show done my phone was queued up 100% I had all the websites queued up ready to go just had to click them and bada boom bada bing And even my other phone, I have two phones. I have the old one that usually works better than everything else. And even the old one, it's like I would, I typed like four letters and like three words that come out that make no sense. (laughs) And my computer was working okay. And then I'd click on and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden it's taking like 20, 30 minutes per page to load everything was fine finally then I got my phone all queued up everything's ready to go it was 100% charged I picked it up and it drained down to 1% and then shut itself off as soon as I touched it it's like I shorted out the whole thing and by the time three hours later the phone charged none of the pages were queued up on my computer again and it's just, it's so irritating. It's, I'm so irritated. I don't know. It must be the phone battery, but I don't know. I It was charged at 11% after two or three hours. And then I left the room, turned on the dryer, came back. I did not do anything else. I just, I walked three rooms away turned on the dryer where my son's clothes were drying, came back in here and is charged at hundred percent. So the moment I walk away from the phone, it charges just like that. I mean, while waiting, I watched a couple episodes of Gilmore girls and I watched the end of a marriage story, which was so, so realistic that it just kind of bummed me out. But I also painted my fingernails a nice festive holiday red for Christmas and solstice, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. It's just this radiation. Maybe I don't know what's going on, but I've noticed that with this radiation that we just received, like on Monday, 
and my son and I were talking about it. He said that if you get a um, in one x-ray, it's 10 times more than you should be getting per year just to get one x-ray done. And we all were hit on Monday with this supernova wave that came in. It's like the amount of 10 x-rays. No, every x-ray is four times. That's what he said. Yeah, every x-ray you get is like four times more than you should be getting in a year. Just get one x-ray. So anyway, he figured it out. He said this, what came through on Monday literally is four times, 40 times more radiation than we ever should have gotten in a year. So like we're just bombarded by this and I don't know about you, but my throat has been really, really swollen. My butt, my body is suddenly acting like I'm on a serious juicing cleanse, like detox diet, which I am not. I had a bagel today. <laughs> I hardly ever eat bagels. Like, maybe once every other month, but I had a bagel and cream cheese today. I had a schmear. It was good. I liked it, but it was an onion and everything bagel. And it's like, Oh my God, there's only one store where you could buy bagels at that we know of in this whole city. So, you know, when we go there, we're like, we just have to get bagels and cream cheese. We have to, it's like a rule, <laughs> but I mean, it's just like my, my son is doing the same thing. It's like, I was like, Hey, do you feel like you're like on a series detox and you have to keep going to the bathroom? He's like, yep. And we're not sick. We're fine. Now we were sick for a long time and we're both healthy. And then this thing hit the supernova hit. And I asked my, uh, my healing team, my spiritual healing team. And I said, Hey guys, um, I feel freaking exhausted. I feel so out of it. And my throat is swollen. And even though I'm getting plenty of rest, I'm drinking fluids and I'm eating fruit. I'm eating vegetables. I'm eating healthy. I mean, I was safe for the bagel, but I mean, other than that, I ate really healthy today and, and yesterday. And they said, it's none of those things. It's nothing that you're like, it's not vitamins or minerals that you're lacking. It's not your food. It's just the radiation coming from the cosmos. That's, that's why you feel run down. I mean, my son's been laying around sleeping all week. I, so have I, we've been just like, you know, he'll get up around nine, nine thirty, and he'll be up for a couple hours and then I get up around 1130 and he's asleep on the couch. And by noon, we're both back in bed. We're both like, that's it. I'm going to bed for a while. I feel like crap. And I know it's just this wave. It's like the solar minimums and all the crap that's going on. Like it's been the, the longest solar minimum cycle, like in a hundred years or something. And when there's a sunspot and there's a lot of magnet magnetic activity on the sun. At least we're protected from a lot of the cosmic radiation. But since, you know, it's not happening there literally, it's like the earth has no magnetosphere to speak of It's a massive crack in it. And in the sun, the same thing, there's no magnetism. And when there's no magnetism, it's like, 
we're a sitting ducks for whatever's coming. There's a magne- magnetar coming. I haven't read up on what the hell this is, but it's not terribly good. It's not just affecting humans, and we talked about this the last few days, is it's affecting all the stuff that's happening around the world. And so I was going to give you, there's only three extra headlines since yesterday. Thank God there's not more. But these are, uh, these are bad enough. Um, in Southern Thailand in Narathiwat, they're saying they're having the worst floods in 23 years. And 37,000 people have been displaced from their homes as a result. Now, you might think I read this yesterday, but the one I read yesterday was hundreds of villages submerged. Riau declares state of emergency as severe weather leaves six people dead and 62,000 people affected in Indonesia. So between Thailand and Indonesia, we have 100,000 people that don't really have a home now. Their home's underwater. 100,000 people in Asia. Now, that's not talking... Um, even in, well, actually, if you want to talk about the earthquake in the Philippines, there's another almost 15,000 people, homes damaged. In China, they're also having it. You know, so all of Asia is just, it's a mess. Uh, Europe is a mess. The United States is a mess. I'm sure Canada isn't, you know, they're not in the news quite yet, but I'm sure they'll be there soon. Hopefully not, you know, but... Storm Elsa hits southern Europe, leaves widespread destruction and five people dead, at least. They're not even sure. Seattle, Washington, records uh, show that this is the wettest December since, or December 20th, just on the day that, you know, just, you know, day before yesterday, since 1900, as the atmospheric river brings floods and landslides. So, floods and landslides in Seattle. It's the worst. It's like the worst in like 120 years. I'm going to read about this storm, Elsa, because I did not know anything about this. Why do we have to name it after Frozen? Elsa, why, why, why? All right. Okay, uh, Storm Elsa is affecting parts of Southern Europe, including Spain, Portugal, and France. Since December 18th, with very heavy rain, strong winds damaging buildings, cutting power supplies, and shutting down the roads, five people at least have been killed in Spain, Three in Spain and two in Portugal. A second storm, which they're calling Fabian, Fabian, is expected to impact the region over the weekend. Oh my God, you guys. Elsa produced wind speeds up to 110 miles per hour, which is 177 kilometers per hour, leaving hundreds of thousands of people without power. In only 24 hours, um... They, they basically had 11.4 inches of rain. And they were getting over 0.86, almost a whole inch, like 22 millimeters of rain 
per hour every like over the time period of several hours basically in southern France 140,000 people have been left without power and you know what I'm so sorry for you guys I, I know you're listening I've got three I am on the charts in iTunes in France for two of my episodes and just in general so like I'm in three places on iTunes because of you guys in France I wanted to thank you merci beaucoup for trusting me and have confidence in the show and you know for listening in spite of the fact that a lot of you just don't have power right so 140,000 people left without power so pray for France pray for Asia I mean pray for the whole world at this point Australia, Africa, I mean, all of these places, the U.S. Um, Three people were injured and 17 were evacuated from a building that had its whole roof ripped off by the high winds in France. This is incredible. Not in a good way. One person died in northern Portugal when his house collapsed. Another one died near Lisbon when a tree crushed his truck. Three people in Spain died, one from a collapsing wall, one in a landslide, and one was swept away by the flood waters. Three people, okay, no, that was, I already said that part. Elsa caused widespread damage across Ireland on December 18th with Western Seaboard um, being hit particularly hard. In Ireland. So, a second storm named Fabian is expected to impact the region over the weekend with even higher wind speeds, leading possibly to more damage in Europe. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, it's all affected by the fact that we just aren't having. A magnetosphere. It's just crazy. So I hope you guys are being patient. Patient with the weather. Patient when you're out of power. And you're scared. When you're cold. You know, try to do what you can do. To just survive be patient with each other. Be patient with the little kids in your life and the animals because everyone is scared when this stuff starts to happen. And, you know, it just doesn't help that my internet on my computer only and on my phone is fine and my computer just stopped receiving the internet. It's like, seriously, we're being, like, our electronics are stressed out. <laughs> Every, everybody and everything, the electronics are stressed out. It's, it's like crazy. Oh, now it says it's accessing the internet, but suddenly that website doesn't work out of nowhere, which I know it does. And by the way, uh, the heart math Institute, I had the page completely queued up. I had blown up the graph as ready to read from it. And because my phone did what it did now, that website is not displaying and it says temporarily, um, unavailable. And even though I had it, I had it there, and then the internet just 
or like I, it's just it's like everything's work I feel like everything's working against me and I know that Mercury is direct so it's not even that it might just be my energy I don't know some really strange things have been happening with me lately and besides all this I mean I'm able to smell um, my sense of smell came back last night I know I was abducted like in the past week but they're okay the ones who abducted me I don't know what they were doing but I know they're helping me and I've been getting the tinnitus and I've been having the like, the really horrible sleeping like where I, I'll sleep sometimes 6 hours and sometimes 13 hours the other day I slept 16 hours and I woke up like I was absolutely exhausted and I feel like it's just this radiation I'm sensitive to it so anyway the good news is we don't have any more bad news from you know like the articles from watchers there's only literally like three of them today or four but we read one of them last night because again I got the show out really late I'm going to try to do it earlier tomorrow it's just really making me mad and I'm really trying to exercise the patience with it. It's like, okay, I enjoyed you know watching Lorelai Gilmore and the Gilmore Girls. I love that show. And it's only like the third or fourth time I've seen the whole series because sometimes you got to wait while you're waiting for everything else to happen, you know? Oh, and here we go with the, with the disclosure news.it. This is the fourth time I've had to queue up the, the, the website. All right, finally, it just it just did. Uh, it's like everything. All right, now what it says, they only have a morning report. Um, actually, no, they had. Actually, they've already done their morning report for today. Oh my god. Okay, so I'll read the 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 twelve twenty first report. A slight activity began today in the last hour shown on the graph. The first change in amplitude occurred just before 5 a.m. at power 18, followed by minor variations. Shortly after 15 UTC time, the movements became more intense with the first power 31, and then the maximum of today's chart at power 35, just before 1700 UTC. So 35, that was it. And we're going to not even tell you today's news until later today when I do the show I'm going to try to do the show early because of all the problems I've been having this is so ridiculous I sat down at at like I don't know about 1245 or something to do the show because that's still early in California and as you know guys know my goal is to get the show out every day at midnight California time which is three in the morning here but usually I've been gaining it out early unless I'm having technical difficulties. But today is like, it's only barely sprinkling. It's not the atmosphere here. It's just, it's something else. All right. Yeah. And with Schumann resonance from heartmath.org, they're completely out data. Sorry. The data is temporarily unavailable. That's what it says. Oh, and here, yet again, uh, A Course in Miracles. I had this website queued up. And I had to wait for that one to queue up again. Usually when I queue them up, they're like, they'll sit here for an hour. And I just did this like 
well, 20 minutes ago, so, oh my god, I'm really trying to be patient with this stuff, it's really starting to bug me, all right, I mean, if I don't have a show at all tomorrow, it's not because I didn't want to, it's probably because some other crazy space anomaly happened, and I wasn't able to, you know, but hopefully I'll be okay. Oh, wait a minute. Duh. Actually, there was supposed to be a massive wave hitting today. Well, that makes sense now that all the stuff is messing up. There was because it's a, yeah, because it's the uh, solstice and they expect another massive thing to ha- happen. So that makes sense. But our bodies are um, detoxing. We're purging. Um, a lot of emotional stuff and bad memories and all the stuff I was telling you about yesterday and all this is happening all of it's happening you know I've gotten a lot of cool um, mail from people Lola I wanted to say thank you for the compliment on she loves the show and she heard the um, the opening music and when she heard it she was just so jazzed and I'm like yeah that opening music, you guys, I, I picked it out um, in 2012. I went to Lake Tahoe with my kids. We found a place, a little, um, we had a little hotel across the street from the lake. It was snow, 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 snow everywhere, the beautiful snow. And we drove up there to see the beautiful snow. And we had a week in Nevada and Carson, just south of Carson City in Genoa, Nevada. And, but we decided to go early so we could have a whole week in Tahoe first. And it was snowing and beautiful and cold. And we were building snowmans in the parking lot of the uh, hotel. And my youngest wanted to help the lady there. She, there was a family from India and he's helping them shovel the snow. And it was just such a beautiful, time you know it was a beautiful time until like a week later when the lady completely freaked out screamed at us told us that we had to leave so that she could go into our room when we're not there and we're like if you want to come and clean that's fine we'll move out of your way but we're not going to leave all of our stuff in the room while you clean and she's like freaking out what are you doing in there what are you doing in there are you living here are you what are you doing in here and I told her that I, I put all my stuff in storage and we were actually um, just wanted to spend a couple weeks in Tahoe and a week in Nevada. And then we were going to um, move to Guatemala. I told her that from the first day. And she was just, after like a week, she like completely started to freak out. Why aren't your kids in school? I'm like, because they're homeschooled and we're leaving, you know, the country. So... And she, um, it was like bad. She clotheslined my, my son and knocked him down. Like, like she shoved my little kid down. This is like six years ago when he was only like 10 years old. I was like, what? I can't believe this woman. And she was like in her sixties. I mean, who, who hits, who hits not only a child, but someone who's like, um, your guest staining your I like how to call the police on her. It was really bad. But that first week there was excellent. <laughs> when she wasn't so freaked out all the time. 
You know, I kept trying to record my shows and get things done and get things going, you know. And But that was in 2013. But in, in I think it was like January 13, 2013 or maybe around Christmas 2012. But it was about like, you know, about six years ago, seven years ago. It was like seven years ago. And anyway, um, I sat there with my kids. I'm like, all right, guys, I need your help. And we went through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clips of music. And we narrowed it down to 10 and we heard all of the 10 and then we heard all the 10 again. And then by the time we heard 10 of them, like the third time we could eliminate three or four of them that were already getting irritated by. (laughs) And we kept doing it. We kept doing the process and and they were like, Oh, I hate this music. Oh God. I liked it before, but now I heard it too many times. And this is the only music clip. They're like, I love that. Like I could hear it constantly. I could hear it all day long. And it was, um, this was literally called Mayan and we were going to Maya country. We're moving to Guatemala. And when I picked out the music, I, no, I guess I knew I was moving. I think I was trying to move to Ecuador still though. And I just, my friend had just talked us into just go to Guatemala first and work your way down. (laughs) And it's what we did. But I think maybe I knew already, but they were going to move there. But, um, but yeah, but Lola, it's like, I really connected with that music in the beginning of your show. I'm like, yeah, me too. Because it's just, it's like, I don't get tired of hearing it every single day. And I've made this year alone, like what, 350 episodes already every single day. I don't, I don't get tired of it. I don't get tired of it. And my, and the same thing with my music that is at the end. And that's always going to be my signature music. I paid for 99 year lease or use of the music. <laughs> so I have rights to use it for the next 99 years. But, um, yeah, a lot of people have been, uh, commenting on the show. So I wanted to just to say, you know, Hey, thank you guys. Um, who I've heard from Michelle. I've heard from Rebecca. Um, I've heard from Phil. I heard from joy. Um, and I know I'm missing like four or five people. So I want to say thank you guys for letting me know that you're really, that you're listening you're tuning in. My friend Cheryl, I was like, and, and Jude also, I like w- asked Jude something and he's like, oh, I'm listening to your show right now. That's so funny. <laughs> A lot of you listen to the show at work. I'm glad about that. Helps to pass hours maybe possibly. And if you're brand new to the show, you have a lot of shows to catch up on in the event that you have a big commute next year, you could always go back and listen to the old ones. Right. But, um, anyway, I'm burning up right now. I'm just absolutely massively hot. And for two days, it's been cold outside here and we've been really enjoying the temperature. The sky has been again, pink and purple and that purple is like an amethyst, like a pale lavender amethyst, which is not normal for hair. Um, the skies have been surreal, beyond beautiful and surreal, incredibly surreal. And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm like burning up now. I'm sitting here, I just... I'm like dressed like it's absolutely... It's like it's the middle of the night and I'm dressed like it's summertime. 
and I'm like burning up. I'm like, this is like, I'm like fanning myself. This is like super ridiculous. It's just the energy. I feel it. It's like a constant energy. And I know I feel a wave right now hitting us in this moment. Oh my God. My left ear is hurting like so much out of nowhere. But I did manifest these, these, um, pillows. I I think I mentioned it yesterday that at the grocery store, we, um, at the grocery store, they had memory foam pillows for sale. And this isn't the department store. This is like an actual, just a grocery store, but they have this one aisle where they have towels and sheets and, and pillows now. And I don't, I think they had pillows before, but not memory foam pillows. And so I had manifested that like a month ago, we didn't see these. And when we were there and now we have them. But my son's been asking for a pillow. My pillows have been really crappy. My, I wake up with my neck hurting every day. And today I woke up without my neck hurting for the first time in, in a while. I mean, it still hurt on one side, but I mean, like 90% of the pain was gone. I was really blown away. And then later in the afternoon, I came and laid down. I rolled over to the other side where my neck hurt. And I woke up after 30 minutes and all the pain was gone. I'm like, oh, thank you know, so I'm grateful for that. I mean, the, like the manifestations at this time, you guys, whatever you need to manifest in your life, it's going to flow like water. But at the same time, we're going through all this other crazy crap. And again, I wanted to point that out. Um, what, um, who told us that? Was it, was it Prime Creator or Michael Sharon? I can't remember now, or was it the Arcturians? I think it was the Arcturians actually, or Arcturians. They said, so if you put your hands out in front of you and, and you put all your fingers together and you turn your hand, um, perpendicular to the floor, and then you put your thumbs together and your fingers together and you make like a, a, a triangle with your hand and your fingers are pointed out. If you're a man, you imagine that this is like a hat. You're going to put it out with the with a triangular point pointing straight directly out. And if you're in a female body, regardless of your gender identification, um, then you take your hands and then you turn it and you touch your the top of your head with your thumbs. You know, so you basically flip it and then the point of the triangle goes towards the back. Then what they, they gave me further instruction later is that you, you, uh, expand that, expand your hands and expand the hat so that, so it's like a three cornered, like triangle hat. Right. And then it's an isosceles triangle. And they told me that if you're five feet tall, this is going to be five feet from the base of your head, you know, the base of the triangle, which is where your head is. And it goes up five feet. So if you're six feet tall, it'll go up six feet. If you're three feet tall, it'll only go up three feet. Okay, so you get the point. And and so um, it's uh, eggplant purple. And the outside is magnetic and the inside is electrical. And, and, they're, um, and you just expand it so that the corners of it, if you could draw a line from the corners to the ground, it would surround you and protect you. Okay. And so that's all you have to imagine. And so when you imagine it, just imagine that you're wearing a big isosceles triangle 
pyramid on your head with the pointy part going behind you if you are born in a female body and going in front of you if you're born in a male body and that's it and you just and if you imagine it the more you imagine it just close your eyes and visualize it the more you can see it clearly that's how fast your ascension symptoms will go away and this is the first step in building your Merkaba so that's what they told me and it's like an eggplant purple and sometimes I've noticed that mine in this center part will glow almost like a golden energy in the center of the triangle inside and sometimes it's like a blue energy and I don't know why but I'm going with it anyway so I've been visualizing that at night and that's taken a lot of my ascension symptoms and I haven't done it today now look I'm burning up my ears hurting <laughs> my electronic equipment is doing all kinds of crazy crap that it should not be doing um but <laughs> so I'm like doing it now I'm like okay I'm thinking about okay put the isosceles sad on <laughs> but I don't know I just feel like um all the hints and the tips and the tricks that they've all been giving us you know the Andromedans and the Lyrans and the Pleiadians I mean it's really been helping it's been helping me I hope it's been helping you but this one was the biggest one as far as just stopping the symptoms almost right away you can also ask your spiritual team to help you stop the symptoms if you don't know what I'm talking about go and look through my episodes say um, I think it's called your spiritual team there's your spiritual healing team and your spiritual team so you can assemble these teams and they're people that have passed and also could be your uh, guardian angels your ascended masters you get these teams together and have them help you and when you learn how to talk with them you can hear them directly until then you use like muscle testing or dowsing which I still haven't done my dowsing episode but I, I will do that soon anyway um all right we are now my my cursor stuck again oh and earlier it took like an hour to get my cursor back <laughs> my cursor just disappeared so I have it back but now it's not, nothing's like really working <laughs> oh my god it's just patience babe patience that's what we need oh okay in a Course in Miracles for the Foundation of Inner Peace. Uh, their website is acim.org. We are on Lesson 193. We're only going to read a little bit of the lesson. If you want to read the full, complete lesson, go ahead and download a free A Course in Miracles app or just go to acim.org to read the lessons. So Lesson 193 is, All things are lessons God would have me learn. <laughs> So perfect for what we're going through today. All things are lessons God would have me learn. God does not know of learning, yet his will extends to what he does not understand. In that he wills the happiness his son inherited of him be undisturbed, eternal and forever gaining scope, eternally expanding in the joy of full creation and eternally open open and wholly limitless in him that is his will and thus his will provides the means 
to guarantee that it is done. God sees no contradictions, yet his son believes he sees them. Thus he has a need for a one who can correct his erring sight and give him vision that will lead him back to where the perception ceases. God does not perceive all, yet he is who gives the means by which perception is made true and beautiful enough to let the light of heaven shine upon it. It is he who answers what his son would contradict and keep keeps his sinlessness forever safe. There are lessons God would have you learn. His will reflects them all. And they reflect his loving kindness to the son he loves. Each lesson has a central thought, the same in all of them. The form alone is changed with different circumstances and events, with different characters and different themes, apparent but not real. They are the same in fundamental content. It is this, forgive and you will see this differently. Forgive and you will see this differently. All right, I'm not going to read the rest of the lesson, but this is 193, The Course in Miracles. And if my page had stopped messing up. (laughs) All right. And there's only um, 13 paragraphs. But the end, he does say, I will forgive and this will disappear. All right. Now suddenly I'm having an allergy out of nowhere. There's no reason for it. Oh my God, here it is. I took a four-hour allergy pill like 10 hours ago. <laughs> and that's not normal for it to last for 10 hours either. I forgot I was... That's it, my other weird ascension symptoms. I was sneezing my head off and blowing my nose again. Like I was sick, but I wasn't. It's just allergy. And now my nose is start, starting to itch like crazy. And my throat is itching like crazy. And without my doing anything at all, my um, page, A Course in Miracles page, is getting bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller every time I try to move the cursor. Which is not moving very well. (laughs) Or like at all. It's like literally not moving at all. Oh my god, this is like ridiculous. I know I didn't touch anything. I don't know what's happening. I mean, seriously, it's like crazy. It's like, it might just be my energy field that's just messing with everything. Alright, but anyway, lesson 193. Go ahead and, and, and read that if you feel inclined. All things are lessons God would have me learn. And when I come back, I'm going to read to you guys some Christmas stories that are written about the holidays from France and Spain. And maybe, just maybe, I might find maybe another dandy from Dickens. We'll see. We'll see what I come up with. I don't know exactly. It's just, I do this random. You guys know that. So I discover it as you discover it. I don't read it in advance. (laughs) All right, I'll be right back after this message. 
Metaphysical Soul Speak is run on sponsors and listener support. This means listeners like you. If you are so inclined to support my efforts and my little podcast, please visit me at anchor.fm forward slash metaphysical and pledge an amount of your choosing today. Thank you. Right, guys, I mean, it's going to be a Christmas miracle if I could get this episode out. <sighs> the problem I was having with that screen every time I tried to move the mouse, that suddenly the letters would get bigger or smaller, and nothing else. I couldn't move the cursor at all. I had to shut the computer off and turn back on, and then I had to reload that page with all the bookmarks on it. But before all that, my computer decided to do its own updates. So I had to wait for that 20 minutes. Then when I went to my anchor app where I just finished adding all the sections to the show and I just finished the intro part, um, all of a sudden, well, I had to shut the anchor app off and on several times. Finally, everything was fine and all right, good. And I went to load, you know, the episode I'm making right now. And it went to the episode I made yesterday. And then it had to be shut down again. And I had to go back and get the episode I was making. And the um, intro that I had put somehow started a whole brand new episode on its own. It didn't add to the episode I was in the middle of making. It just, the app did its own thing. The computer did its own thing. My other phone has been doing its own thing. <laughs> Do I have a ghost? No, no, huh? Muscle testing says no. Ariane, is that you? No, nope. Duende says no. It wasn't her. She doesn't mess with my, my show, but I mean... Seriously, this is like, my patience is really being tried here. This is like ridiculous. So, all right, I'm finally, it looks like everything's good to go. (laughs) My legs are crossed, fingers crossed, eyes are crossed. (laughs) I hope everything's going to go good from this point forward. God bless this broadcast. Okay, we're going to start off with a short tale by Charles Dickens called The Christmas Goblins. (laughs) It sounded amazing, so I had to read this. In an old abbey town a long, long while ago, there officiated as sexton and gravedigger in the churchyard One Gabriel Grubb. He was an ill-conditioned, cross-grained, surly fellow who consorted with nobody but himself and an old wicker bottle which fitted into his large, deep waistcoat pocket. A little before twilight one Christmas Eve, Gabriel shouldered his spade 
lighted his lantern, and betook himself toward the old churchyard. For he had a grave to finish by next morning, and feeling very low, he thought it might raise his spirits, perhaps, if he went on with his work at once. He strode along until he turned into the dark lane which led to the churchyard, a nice, gloomy, mournful place into which the townspeople did not care to go except in broad daylight. Consequently, he was not a little indignant to hear a young urchin roaring out some jolly song about a Merry Christmas. Gabriel waited until the boy came up, then wrapped him over the head with his lantern five or six times to teach him to modulate his voice. Ah, and as a child, the boy hurried away with his hand to his head. Gabriel Grubb chuckled to himself <laughs> and entered the churchyard, locking the gate behind him. He took off his coat, put down his lantern, and getting into an unfinished grave, worked at it for an hour or so with right goodwill. But the earth was hardened with the frost, and it was no easy matter to break it up and shovel it out. At any other time, this would have made Gabriel very miserable, but he was so pleased at having stopped the small boys singing that he took little heed of the scanty progress he had made when he had finished his work for the night and looked down into the grave with grim satisfaction, murmuring as he gathered up his things, Brave lodgings for one, brave lodgings for one, a few feet of cold earth when life is done. Ho, ho, he laughed as he set himself down on a flat tombstone, which was a favorite resting place of his, and drew forth his wicker bottle. A coffin at Christmas, a Christmas box. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, 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 repeated a voice close beside him. "'Twas the echoes," said he, raising the bottle to his lips again. "'It was not,' said a deep voice. Gabriel started up and stood rooted to the spot with terror, for his eyes rested on a form that made his blood run cold. Seated on an upright tombstone close to him, was a strange, unearthly figure. He was sitting perfectly still, grinning at Gabriel Grubb with such a grin as only a goblin could call up. "'What do you hear on Christmas Eve?' said the goblin sternly. "'Came to dig a grave, sir,' stammered Gabriel. "'What man wanders among graves on such a night as this?' cried the goblin. Gabriel Grubb! Gabriel Grubb! screamed a wild chorus of voices that seemed to fill the churchyard. What have you got in that bottle? said the goblin. All in, sir, replied the sexton, remembering and trembling more than ever, for he had bought it of the smugglers, and he thought of his questioner, might be in the excise department of the goblins. (laughs) Who drinks Hollands alone? 
and in a churchyard on such a night as this. Gabriel Grubb, Gabriel Grubb, exclaimed the wild voices again. And who then is our lawful prize? exclaimed the goblin, raising his voice. The invisible chorus replied, Gabriel Grubb, Gabriel Grubb. Well, Gabriel, what do you say to this? said the goblin as he grinned a broader grin than before. The sexton grasped for his breath. What do you think of this, Gabriel? It's it's very curious, sir, very curious, sir, and very pretty, replied the sexton, half dead with fright. But I think I'll go back and finish me work, sir, if you please. Work, said the goblin. What work? The grave, sir. Oh, the grave, eh? Who makes graves at a time when other men are merry and takes a pleasure in it? Again, the voices replied, Gabriel Grubb, Gabriel Grubb. I'm afraid my friends want you, Gabriel, said the goblin. Under favor, sir, replied the horse-stricken sexton. I, I, I don't think they can. They don't know me, sir. I don't, I don't think the gentlemen have ever seen me. Oh, yes, they have. We know the man who struck the boy in the envious malice of his heart because a boy could be merry and he could not. Here the goblin gave a loud, shrill laugh when the echoes returned twentyfold. <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid I must leave you, sir, said the sexton, making an effort to move. Leave us, said the goblin. Ho, ho, ho. As the goblin laughed, he suddenly darted towards Gabriel, laid his hand upon his collar and sank with him through the earth. And when he had had time to fetch his breath, he found himself in what appeared to be a large cavern, surrounded on all sides by goblins ugly and grim. And now said the king of the goblins, seated in the center of the room on an elevated seat, his friend of the churchyard. Show the man of misery and gloom a few of the pictures from our great storehouses. As the goblins said this, a cloud rolled gradually away and disclosed a small, scantily furnished but neat apartment. Little children were gathered round a bright fire, clinging to their mother's gown or gambling round her chair. A frugal meal was spread upon the table and an elbow chair was placed near the fire. Soon the father entered and the children ran up to meet him. As he sat down to his meal, the mother sat by his side and all seemed happiness and comfort. What do you think of that? said the goblin. Gabriel murmured something about its being very pretty. Show him some more, said the goblin. Many a time the cloud went and came, and many a lesson it taught to Gabriel Grubb. He saw that men who worked hard and earned their scanty bread were cheerful and happy. And he came to the conclusion it was a very respectable sort of a world after all. 
No sooner had he formed it than the cloud closed over the last picture, seemed to settle on his senses, and lull him to repose. One by one the goblins faded from his sight, and as the last one disappeared, he sank to sleep. The day had broken when he awoke, and he found himself lying on the flat gravestone, with the wicker bottle empty by his side. He got on his feet as well as he could, and brushing the frost off his coat, turned his face toward the town. But he was an altered man. He had learned lessons of gentleness and good nature by his strange adventures in the goblin's cavern. <laughs> It's Dickens, not terribly Christmassy, but I hope you guys liked it. I have a feeling he wrote that before he wrote A Christmas Carol. He was kind of toying with that idea a while. But it is kind of a supernatural, paranormal sort of one. And to appease my little Duende friend here who's at my side while I read these, <laughs> had to speak of goblins, which are earth elemental spirits. A Christmas in the Forest from the French of André Duriette. Christmas Eve that year was bleak and cold, and the village seemed benumbed. The houses were closed hermetically, and so were the stables, from which came the muffled sound of animals chewing the cud. From time to time, the clacking of wooden shoes on the hardened ground resounded through the deserted streets. Then a door was hastily opened and closed, and all relapsed into silence. It was evident from the thick smoke rising through the chimneys into the gray air that every family was huddled around its hearth while the housewife prepared the Christmas supper. Stooping forward with their legs stretched out to the fire, their countenances beaming with pleasure at the prospect of the morrow's festival and the foretaste of the fat and juicy blood sausages, the peasants laughed at the north wind that swept the roads, at the frost that powdered the trees of the forest, and the ice that seemed to vitrify the streams and the river. Following their example, my friend Tristan and I spent the live-long day in the old house of the Abatyal at the corner of the hearth, smoking our pipes and reading poetry. At sundown, we grown tired of seclusion and determined to venture out. The forest must be a strange sight with this heavy frost, said I to Tristan. Suppose we take a turn through the wood after supper. Besides, I must see the sabotier from Coroy about a little matter. So we pulled on our gaiters, stuffed our pipes, wrapped ourselves in our cloaks and mufflers, and penetrated into the wood. We walked along cheerfully over the rugged, hardened soil of the trenches, furrowed with deep, frozen ruts. 
through the copse on either side, we saw mysterious white depths. After a damp night, the north wind had transformed the mists and vapors that overhung the branches into a tangle of snowy lace. In the half-light of the gloaming, we could still distinguish the sparkling needles of the junipers, the frosted puffs of the clematis, the bluish crystallizations of the beech, and the silver filigree of the nut trees. The silence was broken by the occasional creaking of the frozen limbs, and every now and then a breath of impalpable white dust dampened our cheeks <coughs> as it melted there. We walked along at a steady pace and in less than an hour caught sight of the red and flickering glow of the Sabatier's camp, pitched on the edge of the forest above a stream that flowed down through the valley of Santong. The settlement consisted of a spacious cone-shaped dirt-coated hut and a cabin with board walls carefully sealed with moss. The hut answered the combined purposes of dormitory and kitchen. The cabin was used for the stowing away of, of tools and wooden shoes and also for the two donkeys employed in the transportation of goods. The sabotiers, masters, apprentices, friends, and children were seated on beach logs around the fire in front of the hut, and their mobile silhouettes formed intensely black profiles against the red of the fire. Three short posts driven into the ground and drawn together at the top formed the crane from which hung an iron pot that simmered over their coals. An appetizing odor of stewed hair escaped from the tin lid as it rose and fell under the puffs of vapor. The master, a lively, nervous, hairy little man, welcomed us with his usual cordiality. Sit down and warm yourself, said he. You will find us preparing the Christmas supper. I'm afraid we'll not sleep over soundly tonight. My old woman is ill. I fixed her a bed in the cabin where she'll be more comfortable and warmer on account of the animals. My boy has gone to Santong to get the doctor. There's no time to be lost. My little girl is kept busy running from the cabin to the hut. We had no sooner taken our seats around the fire than the snowflakes began to whirl around in the stillness above us. They fell so thick and fast that in less than a quarter of an hour, we were compelled to protect the fire with a hurdle covered with sackcloth. By faith, gentlemen, said the sabatier, you'll not be able to start out again in this storm. You'll have to stay and have your Christmas supper with us and taste of our stew. Well, the weather it was certainly not tempting, and we accepted the invitation. Besides, the adventure amused us, and we were delighted at the prospect of a Christmas supper in the heart of the forest. An hour later, we were in the hut, and by the light of a miserable little candle end, we had our Christmas supper, devouring our hair stew with a sharp appetite and washing it down with a draught of unfermented wine 
that scraped our throats. The snow fell thicker and thicker, wrapping the forest in a soft white wadding that deadened every sound. Now and then the sabatier rose and went into the cabin, then came back looking worried, listening anxiously for the good woman from the Santong. Suddenly a few metallic notes muffled by the snow rose softly from the depth of the valley. A similar sound from an opposite direction rang out in answer, then followed a third and fourth, and soon a vague confusion of Christmas chimes floated over the forest. Our hosts, without interrupting the process of mastication, and while he passed around the wine jug, tried to recognize the various chimes by the fullness of the sounds. Those, now, those are the bells from Vivi. They are hardly any louder than the sound of the donkey's hooves on the stones. Ah, that, that is the bell of Abarif. Yes, and that peal? That sounds like the droning of a swarm of beetles. That's the Grancy chimes. During this discussion, Tristan and I began to succumb to the combined action of warmth and fully satisfied appetite. Our eyes blinked, and before we knew it, we fell asleep on the moss of the hut, lulled by the music of the Christmas chimes. A piercing shriek followed by a sound of joyful voices woke us with a start. It had ceased snowing. The night was growing pale, and through the little skylight we could see, above the fleecy trees, a faint light in the sky, where a belated star hung quivering. It is a boy, shouted the master, bursting in upon us. Gentlemen, if you think you would like to see him, why, I should be very glad, and it might bring him luck. We went crunching over the snow after him to the cabin, lighted by a smoky lamp. On her bed of laths and moss lay the young mother, weak and exhausted, her head thrown back, her pale face framed in by a mass of frowsy auburn hair. The good woman, assisted by the little girl, was bundling up the newcomer who wailed feebly. The two donkeys, amazed at at so much stir and confusion, turned their kindly gray faces towards the bed, shook their long ears, and gazed around them with wide, intelligent eyes. Blowing through their nostrils, puffs of warm vapor that hung like a thin mist on the air. At the foot of the bed stood a young shepherd with a black and white she-goat and a newborn kid. I have brought you the she-goat, Madame Fleuriot, said he in his langrois drawl. You can have her for the boy as long as you wish. The goat was buying and the newborn child wailed and the donkeys breathed loudly. There was something primitive and biblical about the whole scene. Without, in the violet of the dawn, while a distant church bell scattered its early notes through the air, one of the young apprentices, dancing in the snow to keep warm, sang out at the top of his lungs that old Christmas carol, which seemed then full of new meaning and poetry. He is born, the little child. Ring out, hobois, ring out, bagpipes. He is born, the little child. 
let us sing the happy news. The Poet's Christmas Eve from the Spanish of Pedro A. de Alarcón. In a beautiful corner of Andalusia lies a smiling valley. God bless it, for in that valley have I friends, loves, brothers, parents. El Latigo. A good many years ago, for I was then only seven, my father came to me in the twilight of a winter's day, when the three Ave Marias had been repeated to the sound of the church bells, and said solemnly, You need not go to bed with the chickens tonight, Pedro. You are a big boy now, and you ought to have your supper with your parents and your older brothers. This is Christmas Eve. I shall never forget the delight with which I heard these words. I was not going to bed until late. I cast a glance of commiseration and contempt upon my younger brothers and instantly fell to composing a description to be delivered at school on my return after Twelfth Night. Of this, my first adventure, my first lark, the first dissipation of my life. Part two. It was already Las Animas, as they say in our village. Um, and then the footnote here says, It is a certain hour of the evening when the ringing of the bells admonishes the faithful to pray for the souls in purgatory. Okay, so it continues with part two. Our village, 90 leagues from Madrid, a thousand leagues from the world, nestling in a fold of the Sierra Nevada. I can almost fancy I see you, brothers, father, mother. A huge oak log whistled and crackled in the fireplace. We all sat together under the vault of the chimney. My two grandmothers, who spent that night with us, presiding over the household ceremonies, occupied the corner seats. My father and mother sat next to them, the rest of the place being occupied by the children and servants. For on such an occasion we all represented the home, and it seemed fitting that one fire should warm us all. I remember, however, that our men remained standing and that our maids squatted or knelt. Their respectful humility forbade their occupying a chair. The cats slept in the center of the circle. Their tails turned to the fire. An occasional snowflake came fluttering down the chimney, that elfin road, and the wind moaned in the distance and spoke to us of the absent, the poor, the wayfarers. 
My father and my eldest sister played on the harp, and I accompanied them to their distress <laughs> on a drum which I had contrived that very evening out of a broken water jug. Do you know the song of the Ajuinaldos, which is sung in the villages that lie east of the Mohasem? Well, that was the music that constituted the concert. The maid servants took it upon themselves to render the vocal parts, and they sang couplets to this effect. Tonight is Christmas Eve, tomorrow is Christmas Day. Maria, fetch the jug of wine, let's be merry while we may. And all was happiness and merrymaking. Rusks, butter cakes, pastes of nuts and honey, sweetmeats made by the nuns, rosoli, and cherry brandy were freely passed around. There was much talk of going to midnight mass, to the nativity play at dawn, to see the Bethlehem manger, which we boys had constructed in the tower, and also of making sherbet out of the snow that carpeted the court. Suddenly, in the midst of all this merriment, I was struck by the deep meaning of these words, sung by my paternal grandmother. Christmas comes, Christmas goes, but soon we all shall be of those who come back never. In spite of my tender age, this couplet chilled my heart. All the melancholy horizons of life seemed to have been unfolded before me in a flash. It was a burst of intuition unnatural at my age. It was a miraculous prescience, the herald of the ineffable tedium of poetry. It was my first inspiration. I saw and I understood at a glance with marvelous lucidity the inevitable fate of the three generations present. It occurred to me that my grandparents, my parents, and my brothers were like a marching army whose vanguard was stepping into the grave, while the rear guard had not left yet the cradle. And these three generations represented a century, and all centuries past had been alike, and ours would disappear as they had done, and so would the centuries unborn. Christmas comes, Christmas goes. Such is the implacable monotony of time, the pendulum oscillating in space, the indifferent repetition of events in contrast with the brevity of our pilgrimage in this world. But soon we shall all be of those who come back never. Horrible thought, cruel sentence, the definite meaning of which was like a summons to me, death beckoning me from the shadows of the future. Before my imagination, a thousand Christmas Eves filed by, a thousand hearths were extinguished, a thousand families that had supped together ceased to exist, other children, other joys, other songs lost forever. 
the loves of my grandparents, their antiquated mode of dress, their remote youth, the memories thereof that crowded upon them, my parents' childhood, the first Christmas celebrations in our home, all the happiness that had preceded me. Then I could imagine, I could foresee a thousand more Christmas Eves recurring periodically and robbing us of our life and hope. Future joys in which we should not all take part together. My brothers scattered all over the earth, my parents naturally dying before us. The 20th century following upon the 19th. The live coals turned to ashes. My vanished youth, my old age, my grave, my posthumous memory, then the complete oblivion of me. The indifference, the ingratitude of my grandchildren, living of my blood, and who would laugh and enjoy while the worms profaned the skull in which these very thoughts were now conceived. The tears gushed from my eyes. I was asked why I was crying, and as I did not know, or at least could not have defined the reason even to myself, my father concluded that I was sleepy, and I was accordingly sent to bed. Here was another motive for weeping, <laughs> and so it happened that my first philosophical tears and my last childish ones were mingled. That night of insomnia, which I spent listening to the joyous sounds of a celebration from which I had been excluded for being too much of a child, as my parents believed then, or too much of a man, as I realized now, was perhaps the bitterest of my life. I must have fallen asleep at last, however, for I cannot remember whether the projects of going to Midnight Mass, the Nativity play, and making the sherbet out of the snow in the court fell through or not. Part 3 Where is my childhood? I feel as though I had just been relating a dream. The world is wide, after all. My paternal grandmother, the one who sang the couplet, died a long time ago. On the other hand, my brothers have married and have children. My father's harp, unstrung and broken, has been thrown among the cast-off furniture. It had been a many Christmas Eve since I had supper at home. My village has disappeared from the ocean of my life like the eyes, the islet which the mariner leaves behind him. I am no longer the same Pedro, that child, that focus of ignorance, curiosity, and anguish trembling on the threshold of life. I am nothing short of a man, an inhabitant of Madrid, comfortably settled in life, proud of my independence as a bachelor, a novelist, and a volunteer in the great orphanage of the capital with whiskers, debts, and loves. When I compare myself now, my perfect freedom, my broad life, the immense scene of my operations, 
my early experience experience standing as I do revealed tuned like a grand piano on the night of a concert when I compare myself with all my boldness my ambitions my contempts with the little chap that played the drum 15 years ago on Christmas Eve in a remote corner of Andalusia I smile (laughs) I even laugh out loud with the feeling that it befits me while my lonely heart sheds pure tears of infinite melancholy, which it carefully hides from view. Holy tears. May Providence frank you to the home where my father is growing old. Part four. Well, what shall it be? For as the boys sing in the streets, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, this is surely no night for sleep. Where shall I spend the evening? Fortunately, I can choose. Let me see. This is the 24th of December, 1855. We are in Madrid. We know the waiters of all the cafes by name. We are hand in glove with the most applauded poets of the day, the demigods of provincial amateurs. We frequent theaters and see plays from the inside, as it were. The great actors and singers shake our hand behind the scenes. We penetrate into the editor's rooms and are initiated in the alchemy which produces newspapers. We have seen the typesetter's fingers stained with the lead of words and the fingers of the author stained with the ink of thoughts. We have free access to one of the tribunes of Congress, credit at the hotels. There are social gatherings that appreciate us and tailors uh, that endure us. (laughs) We are happy. Our youthful ambition is satisfied. We can enjoy this night. We have conquered the world. Madrid is ours. Madrid is our home. A cheer for Madrid. And you, provincial youths, who at nightfall on an autumn day, sad and lonely, unearth and air your impotent longing for the capital. You who feel yourselves to be poets, musicians, painters, orators, who despise your village, who will not speak to your parents, who weep with ambition and dream of suicide, (laughs) Uh, burst with envy, all of you, as we are now bursting with pleasure. Part five, two hours have passed it is nine o'clock i have money where shall i take my supper my friends more fortunate than i will smother their loneliness in the clamor of an orgy night is of wine they said to me only a few moments ago but i would not be of them (laughs) it has been some time now since i crossed this red sea of youth dry-footed night is of tears i said to them Those who compose our social gatherings are at the theater. 
the people of Madrid celebrate the nativity of our Lord by listening to the rantings of actors. A few homes in which I am almost a stranger have offered me alms out of their domestic warmth in the form of an invitation to dinner, for the old-fashioned supper has gone out of style. But I, I would not accept. That is not what I want. What I long for is a Pasha feast. The Christmas Eve supper, my home, my relatives, my traditions, my memories, the former joys of my soul, the religion that was taught me when I was a child. Part six. Ah, Madrid is an inn. On a night like this, we come to know what Madrid is, our capital is a floating population, heterogeneous, exotic, which can only compare, can only be compared to the population of a free port, of a jail, of an insane asylum. Travelers journeying toward a future to the fantastic kingdom of ambition halt here, as well as those who are journeying back from misery, from crime. Beauty comes here to marry, or to sell herself. The landed proprietor to squander his wealth. The literati for glory. The deputy to become a minister. The worthless man for a government office. <laughs> the savant, the inventor, the comedian, the giant, the dwarf, the man with an anomaly in his soul or in his body. The monster with seven arms and three noses, as well as the philosopher with double sight. The charlatan, the reformer, the man who creates melodies, and the man who counterfeits banknotes, all spend some period of their life in the great inn. Those who attain notoriety, those who find a purchaser, those who have grown rich at the expense of themselves, become in time the innkeepers, the landlords, the masters of Madrid, and forget the land of their birth. But we, the wayfarers, the lodgers, we realize tonight that Madrid means exile that Madrid is a bivouac, a prison, a purgatory. For the first time in the year, we feel that neither the cafe, the theater, the casino, nor the hotel is our house. More than that, we realize that our house is not our home. Part 7 the home, that sacred abode of the patriarch, of the Roman citizen, of the feudal lord, of the very Arab, the holy arch of the Panates, temple of hospitality, and altar of the family, has completely disappeared in our great modern centers. The home survives in the provinces alone. There, our house is our own. In Madrid, it is generally the landlords. 
in the provinces our house shelters us for 20, 30, 40 years at least. In Madrid, one moves every month or at least every year. Our home has a physiognomy of its own, which never varies, ever kindly and sympathetic. It grows old with us. It bears the impress of our lives. It preserves our footprints. In Madrid, the exterior changes every leap year. The apartments are arrayed in new garments. That furniture is sold, which our contact had consecrated. At home, the whole edifice is ours. The grassy court, the poultry yard filled with chickens, the high cheery terraces, the deep well, the children's terror, the monumental tower, the broad, cool, vine-covered summer house. Here we occupy a half-flat, paper-lined divided into mean apartments. With no view of the sky, no sun, no air, there we have that neighborly affection, something between friendship and relationship, which binds together all the families of one street. Here the man who moves about noisily above our heads is unknown to us. Neither do we know the man who dies beyond the partition of our alcove and whose death rattle disturbs our sleep. Our provincial home is a cluster of memories, of local attachments. Here the room in which we were born, there the room where our brother died. Here the empty hall in which we played as children. There the study in which we wrote our first verses. On the chapter of a column in the trough of an old ceiling, swallows have built their nests. And every year the faithful couple fly over from Africa to hatch a new brood. In Madrid, all this is unknown. And the hearth, that consecrated stone, cold in summer, cold in our absence, but warm and friendly during the happy winter evenings, when all the children are brought together and grouped about the old people, for the colleges have their vacations. The married daughters bring their little ones home on a visit, and the absent ones, the prodigal sons, they come back to the heart of the family. Please, where, tell me, where is this hearth in the houses of the capital? Can we call a French mantelpiece made of marble, bronze, and iron, a hearth, that which one can buy at a store, at wholesale or retail, and can even hire if need be. The French mantelpiece is a symbol of home in a great city. People of Madrid, that is your hearth, a hearth subject to the changes of fashion, a hearth which is sold even when it's old which can be moved from room to room, from street to street, and which can even be pawned in emergencies.
Section 8. I wandered through a street far above my head from a high story. My grandmother's prophetic couplet floated down to me amid the shock of glasses, the rattle of dishes, and the merry laughter of girls. Christmas comes, Christmas goes, but soon we all shall be of those who come back never. Here, thought I, is a home, a hearth, with almond soup and a gilt head, which I could buy for four dollars. Just then a woman came up to me begging. She had two children, one in her arms wrapped in a raveled shawl, the other clinging to her hand. Both were crying. I thought the mother was crying too. Part 9 I do not know how I happen to be in this cafe. The clock strikes midnight, the hour when the Christ was born. I am here alone in a boisterous crowd. I have fallen to the analyzing my life since I left my father's roof. And for the first time I am horror-stricken at the painful struggle of the poet in Madrid, a struggle in which so much affection, so much peace, is sacrificed to a vain ambition. I have watched the bards of the 19th century writing the local. I have watched the muse, scissors in hand, making clippings. I have seen men who, in other ages, would have written a national epic busily patching up editorials to rehabilitate a party and earn $50 a month. Poor children of God. Poor poets. <clears throat> Antonio Trueba, to whom I dedicate this article, says, I have found so many thorns on my journey that my heart aches. My soul aches. And so much for my present Christmas Eve. Then I travel back in thought through the bygone years. I am surely missed at home tonight, and my mother shivers when the wind moans in the chimney, as though those moans were my dying sighs. And she says to the neighbor, in such a year when he was with us, or I wonder where he is now. Oh, I cannot bear this. I wave you a farewell from my soul, dear ones. I am ambitious. I am an ingrate, a bad brother, a bad son. How can I explain it? A supernatural force leads me on, whispering, Thou shalt be. The voice of damnation that spoke to me in my very cradle. And what, pray, am I to be, poor wretch that I am? Soon we all shall be of those who come back never. Ah, oh, I do not want to go. I shall not go. I have struggled too hard to fail. I shall return. I will triumph in life and in death. Is there to be no compensation for the infinite anguish of my soul? 
Part 10. It is very late, and that couplet of the dead still rings in my brain. Christmas comes, Christmas goes, but soon we shall be of those who come back never. Yes, yes, other Christmas Eves will come, thought I, as a child. And I dreamed of the future, and I built castles in the air. I saw myself the center of a family, as yet unborn, in the second twilight of life when the flowers of love come to fruit. That storm of love and tears which wrecks me now was past. My head was at rest in the lap of patience, crowned with the melancholy flowers of the last true affections. I was a husband, a father, the support of a home, of a family, the flame of an unknown hearth sparkled in the distance, and in its vacillating light I saw strange beings that made me throb with pride. They were my sons. Then I wept, and I closed my eyes to prolong the vision of that reddish light and the prophetic apparition of the unborn. The grave was near. My locks were gray. But what of that? Would not half of my life remain in these children of love? Would not half of my soul remain with their mother? In vain did I try to recognize this wife who was to share the twilight of my life, this future companion whom God holds for me, sat with her back to me. I could not see her face. I looked for the reflection of her features in the faces of my sons. But the light from the hearth began to fail. When it was out, I still saw her because I felt the warmth of her in my soul. I murmured, Christmas comes, Christmas. And I was asleep, perhaps dead. you have it guys those are our three Christmas stories for tonight so surprising that they all mentioned death oh my gosh I did not know before I read them I I was experiencing it new and fresh as you were and it's funny that some things just haven't changed right not a lot has changed. I mean, the way he describes Madrid, I'm sure, is very much the same. That was a really deep one, man. These are deep, deep, deep. And they're all about death. I'm sorry about that. I'm the angel of death. This is why I tracked myself. No. <laughs> but you know what? We are always 
you know, that's always in the back of our mind and it's something to consider. But in the midst of the death, that's what makes us wish to live a little more, a little more fully to be more present and more alive and to really feel and to really listen and to really have patience with ourselves and with others. I dedicate this episode to all of those people in Europe that are suffering from Iceland all the way down to the southern tip of Spain. I mean, Spain, they're having floods, and France, their power is out, and in England, they're having problems with the storm, with the high winds, and flooding as well. Same thing in France. I mean, I I feel for all of you guys throughout the world, I mean, even in Australia, but I, I specifically dedicate this story from England, this story from France, and this story from Spain to all of Europe right now. You guys are being battered by massive storms, and I don't know, just my heart goes out to you guys. I have a lot of friends in Spain and France, actually, and and actually I've got I've got a good friend that lives in London as well so I don't know I just um, I guess pray for the world that's all I could say pray for everybody anyway I hope you guys enjoy this episode I love each and every one of you and I wanted to thank you for being on this really crazy spiritual journey the journey of ascension that we're all going through right now. It's, it's crazy. It's one of the wildest things I've ever experienced in all of my lifetimes. And every, every day or two, something magical happens to me, something amazing and inexplicable. (laughs) And I'm amazed. Life still amazes me, surprises me. Then I find good pieces of literature like this. From 1855. It's like 176 years ago. It's a long time, man. And he was hoped that he would be remembered, and I just did that for him. And I did not know it even said that in the poet's Christmas Eve, so it's just kind of reverberating through me now I'm feeling it like wherever he is wherever Pedro de Alarcón is whether he's been reincarnated or if he's in heaven right now I hope his spirit on some level is rejoicing that I read his poem to the world it's going to be out there on the internet soon and everyone in the world will have access to it And by the way, I got these stories from Gutenberg.org. And I'm going to tell you where I got these from uh, in a moment. Let's see. (laughs) Um, All right. So the, the Charles Dickens book or basically the Charles Dickens story, was taken from a book called A Budget 
of Christmas Tales by Charles Dickens and others by various. And this is found on Gutenberg.org. <coughs> and let's see here. And this next one. Oh, and they have a picture of the actual original cover of this book. It's so sweet. <coughs> it's called Christmas Stories from the French and Spanish. And then it says inside the book, it says Christmas stories from French and Spanish writers by Antoinette Ogden. And it was actually published in 1892. So my God, that's like beginning of the Victorian era over a hundred years ago it was published. It's a really incredible book. I was kind of starting to read some of the stories like last week. Anyway, if you want to look it up, they're all on Gutenberg.org and for free. So there you go. (coughs) And here I go with this uh, coughing thing again. Oh, man. Uh, We do live in interesting times. It's a Chinese curse. You know, the Chinese have a saying, may you live in interesting interesting times, but they consider that a curse. <laughs> if you live in a rather uneventful lifetime, then you don't spiritually grow as much. You might enjoy it a lot more, but your life is always interesting, and I'm grateful for that. So, hey, you know, in this world right now, there's going to be a lot of chaos swirling about us, and Cosmic Empress put out a <clears throat> the other day, put out a little video on YouTube and she said you know just keep yourselves centered in the eye of the hurricane while the chaos swirls around you all the light workers are going to go through this we're all going to be safe we're all going to be okay but we're going to watch the chaos swirl all around us and that's what's happening right now with all of these storms all of these fires all of these random volcanic eruptions just things that are so unpredictable and random when they happen like you know this time of year you expect snow you don't expect 30 feet to be dumped in a week you know you don't expect 105 inches of snow in the United States to happen within the first few days of the season winter only started today that's it this is winter finally today and yet winter started months ago in some places Keep yourself in the eye of the hurricane. Keep yourself in the way of patience. Be patient with the weather, with what's going on. Just be patient. And don't forget your spiritual things. Don't forget just to breathe. All right, guys, that's it. I'm still calling for predictions for 2020, predictions for the new year. Anything you want to predict, go ahead. Just write me. Tell me how you arrived at the prediction, too. If you're psychic or if it's an educated guess or maybe an article you read, I will accept them all. And um, I want to I hear from you guys. All right. I love you guys, each and every one of you. But now I'm, I, I need to go to bed. I've been up all night.
<laughs> having problems with um, <clears throat> obviously now breathing and which I was in the beginning of this I was fine and um, <laughs> all the technical difficulties I just it's like literally it's been a test of patience all day long for me but everything's getting better every day in every way we're all getting better and better all right that's it guys i'm signing off with peace and joy and the high vibes of the holy fifth dimension till next time guys peace do you ever wish you could look into the next chapter in your book of life and see what's coming next what does the universe have in store for you i can help you with that i will give you a celtic cross reading which is 10 cards or you can ask me three questions and i use three cards per question so that's nine cards or I can channel your higher guidance or maybe God directly for you. Maybe you want to talk to your dear departed Aunt Edna because maybe you have a few questions and she was the smartest person you knew. If your deceased relatives are available or your ascended masters, I can channel them for you personally. Let me have one hour to show you the future in your next chapter of your book of life. Readings are $75 and it takes me an hour to an hour and a half to complete. And for this price, you will also be hooked up to the healing grid around the planet for free, which means yours truly, me, I will be giving you Reiki 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. All you have to do is let me know. Metaphysicalsoulspeak at gmail.com and we will explore your future together.